into the message this morning. Well, I don't see them. Oh, there they are. Um, everybody turn around and look at uh, the piles back there. You see them? <laughs> so, you, you may, if you don't join us online, you may not recognize the, the pile name. But when we started uh, at, at COVID, when COVID hit last year, and we started going online, uh, Jessica and, and Alex kind of... Uh, I, I don't know what, they just kind of stepped into our online host role and, and they have been like on it for a year and a half or, or whatever. This is their first time back with us in person since, uh, since COVID, so glad to have you guys back. Thanks for all you do. I, I know um, they've connected with a lot of people and, and helped them through a lot of things um, over, the, over the last year and a half um, online, so good to have them. Them back this morning. Uh, I, I want you to help me out with this um, with this saying. You just shout it out here uh, once it comes up on the. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys are ter- oh, this is getting this is getting this is getting bad. Uh, Brock wins a prize. Uh, I mean, nobody wanted to say it because you all, like, want to pretend that you don't know that saying, right? Pride goes before a fall. Um, So I'm not going to make you raise your hand this morning, but um, have you you ever experienced the truth of that statement? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some of us um, on the daily experience that. Um, Almost two weeks ago, uh, I was back in the racquetball court after about a year uh, or so of not not playing, and um, and I let I let my my buddy, our rhythm guitar player uh, Jared, I'd let him win the first game, and uh, and so as we got ready to start the second game, I was like, hey, I just want you to know I'm going to beat you uh, this time. I'm not going to hold back. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have it, and I'm and I'm gonna win like you. Like, normally what happens is I lose the first game because i got to get limbered up. And it takes me that long to get. But, you know, once I'm there, then, then, it, then I'm, I'm golden and everything is, um, is great. In, in, anyway, uh, I, I did not win that second game and suffered uh, humiliations galore last Sunday when um, we came to church and he told all of our friends uh, how he had beaten me two times in, in a row. Um, yeah. Anyway, I know, I know this statement. I've lived this statement. Um, I've put it into, into practice and gotten a lot of good use out of it. In this series, uh, that we've been in the last few weeks, this is week number three, series out of darkness. We've been looking at the exodus of Israel, uh, after 250 years of slavery in Egypt. And so how kind of God powerfully brings the Israelites out of their slavery. And one of the themes that I just keep coming back to, and I, I just, I feel like it just keeps coming up. And I, and I, and I think this because I think maybe there's more that we need to ex- explore. Maybe more that, that God wants to work through that story of the, the Exodus. But one of the themes that just keeps coming back to me over and over again is how the Israelites begin to follow this God that they don't know. 
So, I know we've talked about this a, a little before, but they, like, they knew the stories of God. They didn't know God. They didn't know what he expected. They didn't even know his name. They didn't know what to call him, really. He was just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Israel. They didn't really know. And so, um, one of the things that I think is so exciting is what is the process that the Israelites, and, and I think us, what is the process that a person has to go through to begin following a God that they really know nothing about. And so some of you are like, you, you've been there. Some of you have been there, and, and some of you maybe are there, there now. Like you're new to church, not just to real life, but you're new to church, you're new to faith. And, and so you're trying to figure out, how do I follow this, this God that they, that they talk about? You think this God that created everything in the universe and sustains everything in the and does what he wants, when he wants to do it. How, how do I follow this God? And so we, we try to figure that out. And I think the story of Israel being rescued out of the darkness of slavery is a really interesting story for us as we try to figure out what is it that God wants from me in my life? How do I follow this God that I kind of know about, but I don't really know? And so that's really what we've been um, talking about. And so in the, in the first week um, of, of this series, we uh, talked about how the Israelites didn't really know the God of their ancestors because they really didn't need God. Like the first 200 years that Israel was in Egypt, everything was perfect. They didn't really think about God. They certainly didn't worship God. They just kind of went about like everything was going good. They had everything that they needed. They, they were like, they were experiencing what the Shrut family cause, calls um, perfectenschlag. Uh, like everything was great and there was no reason for them to, like they didn't need anything. They weren't like in, they weren't in trouble. Like everything was perfect. And so they just kind of went through life not giving God a second thought. And, and then in week two, we talked about how God introduces himself to the people of Israel through this guy named Moses. And so how God kind of tells Moses, this is who I am, and this is what's going on, and, and all these things. And Moses has this interaction with God, and then Moses goes and kind of talks about, uh, about who God is to um, the Israelites. And so how did God get Moses' attention? And then how did God reveal his, his power and his compassion and his wisdom and his righteousness to Moses? And we talked about that in the story of the burning bush, right? And so um, God, like, calls his name and then tells him what the rules are. And then he's like, hey, take your sandals off because this is holy ground. And so God's righteousness makes a place holy. And so we learned about um, how God introduces himself to us and kind of calls us into that relationship. And so Moses is convinced that, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, um, his fathers, his ancestors, that this God is the God, and God has introduced himself to Moses, and Moses is convinced, like, this is the one true God. And so Moses shares that with his brother Aaron, and Aaron is convinced by what Moses has to say, and then both of them go back to Egypt to try and get the Israelites released from their slavery. But there is one thing that's going to hinder their task. 
There's one thing that's going to get in the way of what God is trying to do, and and it gets in the way of, of the Israelites being freed in a huge way. It causes all kinds of problems, not just for Israel, but for Egypt as well, and for Pharaoh in particular. And it's the very same thing that gets in the way of our desire and ability to follow God in our own lives. It's the same struggle that he had that we have. And so there's one thing that I want to make sure that you take away um, today more than anything else. And so it's our bottom line uh, today, and it's, and it's this. God's not asking for your approval. He's looking for your acceptance. And so we go through the, the message today, I just want you to keep this in, in your mind. The things that you face in your life, God is not asking you to approve He's not asking you to approve of um, his rules, his commands, uh, the things that he says in his word. He is not asking you. Like, you, we give nothing to, to God. Like we talk about, well, I, uh, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Baloney. God said it, that settles it. Makes no difference whether you believe it or not. Now, it may make difference in your own life, whether you believe and you follow and, and, and whatever you approve personally, but it doesn't bother God at all. Like, it, like God's like, I, I'm not concerned with, like, you and whether you believe. Like, it's true, and it doesn't matter. So we're going to look specifically today at Pharaoh's response to God's command to let the Israelites go. And so um, remind yourself this morning that God isn't asking Pharaoh to approve of his command to let the Israelites go. He's simply looking for Pharaoh to accept it. So all the things that, that happened, the plagues that happened, if you know Vacation Bible School and you know the story and the 10 plagues that come on Egypt, all of that is not to get Pharaoh to approve of what God wants to do. It's to get Pharaoh to accept that he's not in control and to let God do what God does. And so the same is true of each of us today. God doesn't ask us to approve of his decisions, of his commands, of his rules, of how to live our real life in his son, Jesus. He is looking for our acceptance, even when we don't understand what he's doing. And that's a big shift for us. It becomes a a, a bit of a challenge and Um, a a struggle for us. Can I accept what God is doing even if I don't approve and even if I don't understand? It's a big step. Let's pray. God, thanks for um, loving us. And as um, as Adam talked about in a communion talk a a few minutes ago, thanks for giving us your spirit to, to give us the strength and the power and the understanding to even have these discussions about how do we follow you in the way that you not just desire, but demand as as God of the universe to be followed. And God, would you forgive us when, when we treat your commands and your rules and your word like it's a multiple choice quiz. And we can pick out what we want and we can kind of discard the rest. Forgive us when, when we have treated the things you have said and called us to in our lives as though, um, as though we could do them or not do them, that we could approve somehow of, of what you've called us to or how you want us to live. 
Instead, God, help us to, to today and every day to walk in humility with you so that as we see your word, as your, your rules, your commands, the way that you lead and guide and direct our lives through your spirit, that we would simply acknowledge that you're the king and that we follow you and that, God, we would do that with our whole heart. And so be with us as we talk today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at three um, different scriptures, Exodus 4, Exodus 5, and then Exodus 7, little snippets from um, each of those. And so let's jump into um, chapter 4 right now. Later, they, talking about Moses and Aaron, brought together the leaders of Israel, and Aaron told them what the Lord had sent Moses to say. And then Moses worked the miracles for the people, and everyone believed. They bowed down and they worshiped the Lord because they knew that he had seen their suffering and was going to help them. So Israel has been crying out. We talked about that last week. They've been crying out for help, but they weren't really crying out to God. They were crying out for somebody to, like they were in pain. They were struggling. They didn't know what to do. They were just crying out and God hears them. And so God introduces himself to Moses because Moses didn't really know God, knew about him, but didn't really know him. And then Moses kind of introduces his bolder brother Aaron to God. And then the two of them go back into Egypt and, and they talk to the Israelite people. And they introduce the Israelite people to the Lord. And whenever you see the, the word Lord capitalized in your, in your Bible, lots of times it's a capital L with uh, small caps underneath it. That, that what that refers to is God's actual name. So when Moses approached the burning bush and he began to talk to God in the desert and he said, who do I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. And, and that's like, there's a huge study in, in, in the Bible what that, what that really means and what he's really saying. But he tells God that his name is Yahweh. And if you look in the Hebrew, um, you might see it pronounced or spelled um, Y-W-H-W. It's called the Tetragrammaton, if you care about that. Um, and it just means it's four letters, and that's, that's what the word means. Um, it just, Tetragrammaton means y Yahweh. And, and so we pronounce it or we spell it sometimes um, uh, Jehovah. This is with a J, right? Because it's the way that the language works. Um, and so when you see that word, that's, that's Yahweh. And, and so um, Moses and Aaron are introducing the people of Israel to Yahweh, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and um, Jacob. And they're telling him his name. And then Moses, it says, worked the miracles for the people. Remember, Moses is standing in front of the burning bush, and, and God says, throw your staff down, and it turned into a snake, and then grab it by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. And then he told Moses to put his hand inside of his jacket, and when he pulled it out, it was full of leprosy. It's a skin disease, a white, they said, like snow. And then he put it back in his jacket, and he pulled it out, and it was perfectly healed. And so Moses performs those miracles before the people, and it says everyone believed. Like immediately, they're like, okay, we now know God's name, and we know that God has power because we've seen these miracles work. And so they bowed down and worshiped Yahweh because they knew that he had seen their suffering, and he was going to help them. That's a big deal. Have you ever wondered why the Israelites responded so quickly to what Moses and Aaron 
had to say and to show them. I think the reason they respond so quickly is because after 250 years of slavery, uh, Israel was in Egypt for 450 years. 200 years were great, perfect. 250 years, um, not so good. And so after 250 years of slavery, they simply had no fight left in them. They had resigned themselves to their situation. They, they like, we can't do anything. All we can do is cry out for relief. Uh, imagine f- for a minute the mental state that an entire race of people would have to be in to willingly murder their own sons by throwing them into the river. That's a, that's a people that are beat down. They have no power. They have no hope. They have no help. And so when Moses shows up and says, Yahweh, this is his name, he's heard your cry, and he's going to help you. And, and here's some proof that he's going to help you. He's powerful enough to do these things and, and work these signs. Immediately, they were like, we have no power. You have the, the power. And so they bowed down and worshiped the Lord because they recognized that he had seen them and he had heard their cry for help. At this point, they have no idea what God is going to do. They have no idea how he's going to get involved, um, how God is going to free them from uh, slavery in Egypt, how he's going to accomplish that. Um, And and so um, this is how I would characterize the nation of Israel at this moment in in time. The Israelites had nothing and they needed everything. (laughs) They, They had nothing. They had no hope, they had no money, they, they, had, they had nothing, they had nothing. In fact, when Israel leaves Egypt later on in the story, when God actually works and they, and they move out of the, the, the state, they have no weapons except for pitchforks and rocks that they pick up on the ground. Like they, and they have, they, have no, um, they have no blacksmiths. They have no way to make, like, you're a nation, and you're going to have to fight other nations, and you have no military, no training, no weapon. You've got, you've got nothing. They needed everything. Um, maybe at, at some point in your life, you were um, in college like I was, and you had nothing, and you needed everything. <laughs> then that's kind of a hopeless feeling, <laughs> I, I remember I rented my first apartment, which was a really stupid idea. Um, and uh, at, at one point in there, I, I had a whole full-size fridge. It was a, I thought like I had I made it. I'm a real person. I have my own place, and I have a fridge that's the right size. And, and the only thing in it was a loaf of be- bread and the cheapest possible non-butter butter you could get and uh, some cheese slices. And I literally had grilled cheese sandwiches every morning and every day at lunch and every day for dinner. Nothing. Just ate that every single day. It was terrible. You know what that's like? I don't have anything. I need everything. I need help. This was the Israelite people. 250 years of slavery in Egypt. And so they received Moses' message with hope and with happiness because they had nothing and they needed everything. And that's how it goes for a lot of people when they're introduced to God. And, and maybe it's not that you have nothing physically. Maybe you've got a lot of things physically. But spiritually, you come to a point where you recognize, I don't have 
I don't have anything. I don't have any hope for the future. I don't even have, I don't have any hope that tomorrow is going to be any better or any different than today. And, and so spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, we have nothing and we need everything. And, and so what I have seen in our lives and in, in faith is that when you have less to start with, you respond more to God. When you have more in life, you tend to respond less to God. And um, so here, here's an example. Look at, look at the next passage of Scripture. This is uh, chapter 5. Moses and Aaron went to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and they told him, Yahweh, the God, says, let my people go into the desert so they can honor me with a celebration there. Now, this is the first time we've hear, heard anything about going into the desert for a celebration. In fact, later Moses is going to say, um, let us go a three days journey out into the desert and then we'll come back. We were like, wait a minute, I don't think God, I don't remember God ever saying that to Moses. Where did that come from? And, and I think the reason it's, it's there and there's like no context given is for us to understand better the kind of person that Pharaoh was. Pharaoh wouldn't even let his slave labor force that had nothing. Like he had absolute total power and control over this nation of millions of people perhaps. And he wouldn't even let them go for a week into the desert to come back. And, I, and I'm telling you, he absolutely knew they would come back because he told them to kill their children and they did it. Like he had total control over them. And he wouldn't even let them go for a week. So this is Pharaoh's response. Who is this Yahweh? And why should I obey him? I refuse to let you and your people go. And so this is their response. Well, Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, has appeared to us. This is Moses and Aaron. Um, Please let us walk three days into the desert where we can offer sacrifices to him. If you don't, he may strike us down with terrible troubles or with, with war. And I don't know where that came from, except the people of Israel knew about the gods of Egypt really well. And this is probably what they expected the gods of Egypt to do. And so the king um, responds next to Moses and Aaron. So why are you keeping these people from working? Like This is what they're here for. This is their job. This is why they exist, to build things for me. Look how many you are keeping from doing their work. Everyone get back to work that same day. Just because they asked for a few days off, the king gave orders to Egyptian slave bosses who then spoke to the Israelite men directly in charge of the Israelite slaves, and he told them, don't give the slaves any more straw to put in their bricks. Force them to find their own straw wherever they can, but they must make the same number of bricks as before. They are lazy or else they would not beg me to let them go and sacrifice to their God. So did you catch Pharaoh's um, response to the same message that Moses and Aaron delivered to the Israelites in chapter 4? Right? They come and say, this is God, Yahweh, God. Uh, and he's heard the cry of his people. And, and so he, he wants to set them free. And Pharaoh responds to God's commands um, through Moses and Aaron in, in, with two questions. He says, who is this Lord 
and why should I obey him? When you're in the darkness, trying to follow a God you don't know, these are not bad questions to ask. Who, who is this God? If this is your first Sunday in, in church, if you've never been to church before, and you're coming in, you're like, I don't know what's going on, these crazy people singing and raising their hands and clapping these songs. We're like, who is this God? What does he expect? I, I, I want to know what's going on. That's not a bad question. Who is the Lord? And secondly, does he have power? Is he able to help me in my time of need? Will he respond when I call on him? Or really, I think Pharaoh was asking, what's he going to do if I don't? Who is this God? Pharaoh knew nothing of the God of the Hebrew people, and he didn't really care to. Because in the day and age that they lived, Pharaoh would have looked at the nation of Israel, and he would have said, your God allowed me to enslave you for 250 years years and has done nothing about it your God is no God at all that was how that he would have thought how he would have responded he must not be a powerful God anyway so who is he and why should I listen to him why should I obey him and so what Pharaoh was basically asking was What's he going to do? What's this Yahweh God going to do if I don't obey? He doesn't seem to be a very powerful God, so why should I be afraid of him? And so unlike the Israelites who had nothing and needed everything, Pharaoh had everything and needed nothing. And so it was a completely different way of looking at God. And, and really, like this is how Pharaoh felt. He doesn't wait for anybody to respond to his questions about who God is or if he has power or not because Pharaoh had already determined, he'd already answered those questions for himself. And we see it in the next sentence of that text. He says, I refuse to let your people go. Who is this God? Why should I obey him? Doesn't even matter because I simply refuse. Now, typically in this day and, and, and age, ancient uh, world and, and how the many gods that they worship, Egypt was a pantheistic society, so they worshiped a whole bunch of different gods. And you can um, Google that really quickly, and there's all kinds that um, pop up. But here's the deal. If, if you were an ancient person and you were introduced to another god of another people group, even if you were more powerful, even if you um, were a bigger nation, even if you, like, like, I've got my gods, I'm good, you still were kind of a little bit of afraid to offend that other nation's god. Because in, in ancient thinking, each of the false gods that were presented, these images that were created, they, there was no god that was over everything. There was all of these little gods that were in charge of specific things. And, and so there's the, the God of fertility, and there's the sun God, and the moon God, and the water God, and all of these things. And so you're like, well, I don't know the God of these people over here, but if I don't honor him in some way, well, um, something bad, like I might get the disease in my foot or something, because that might be the God of feet. I don't know. So it was just like this weird thing. And so it was not, 
it was typical, I guess, for, for somebody to worship other gods in some small way simply because they didn't want to offend them and have something bad happen to them. And so people added new gods to those that they worshiped um, all the time. So when Pharaoh refuses to listen to the God of the Hebrew people, he's basically recognizing himself as a God of equal or greater power. And that's why he has no fear. Who's this God? Why should I obey him? I'm stronger and more powerful. I subjugated not just the people of Israel, but their God as well. I have no fear. And, and, and listen, <laughs> this is the place that you and I have a lot in common with Pharaoh. This is the one place that we can go, Pharaoh and me, we're kind of on the same tier. Now, um, we, we may not be as obvious or aggressive as Pharaoh is in the story, but in little ways every day, we act like we're the gods of our own lives. See, every time we choose our way instead of God's way, that's called pride. And every time we do that, we're saying, God, I don't need to listen to you because I know what's best for me. So maybe it's in the form of relationships. Let me just offend some of you today, probably. <laughs> um, as believers in Christ, sometimes we date people who are not followers of Jesus. That's something that the Bible says, hey, if you're going to date and you're going to do whatever, maybe get married, it's a really good idea to be with somebody who's going to bring you closer to God instead of somebody who's going to move you farther away from God. But, but what do we do all the time? We go, well, but I'll change him <laughs> or I'll pray for her <laughs> and, and, oh, it'll be better and, and God will, will do these great things and it'll be wonderful. And nine times out of ten, what happens is that unbelieving person tends to drag us away from our faith. Because that's the way it's set. Like, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Of course that's what's going to happen. Or, or we cohabitate before marriage. Even though the Bible in multiple places says that is not a good idea. And we know statistically from ungodly sources that that is not a good idea. Way more marriages end in divorce. It's like 75% or more of marriages end in divorce um, when people cohabitated before, than if they didn't. That is exactly the opposite of what every person who tells me, well, we need to figure out if we're compatible or not. <laughs> well, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> this is going to fail. You, okay, anyway. Um, or or we, we do this. Let's see this one all the time. We, we like find somebody, we fall in love, and we pretend, we pretend that we have no control over love. Garbage. Garbage. You have total control over love. We all oh, swept me off my feet. That's not, that's not the way it works. We think it is. We go follow your heart. Don't follow your heart, people. Your heart is stupid, and it will lead you in some of the worst messes of your life. Do, don't do it. 
This is dumb. And so we, we, the relationships come and we go, well, I know that God says this, but I want to do that. And, and so we become the God of our own lives. And we do it with money, too. Like we always come up with money that we need to do the things we want to do. But when it comes to spiritual stuff, we're like, well, I just don't know if God's going to provide. Like 10 percent's a lot. And if I do that, I don't know if I'm going to get. And so we, we're like, we know better than God. And, and so I know what your word says, God, but I'm going to do um, this. We do in loving others as well. God's commanded us to love others, to pray for those who persecute you, to love your neighbor as your, yourself, to carry one another's burdens. And we go, but God, you don't know my neighbor. <laughs> it, every time I choose my way over God's way, I'm being Pharaoh. I'm in that story. I'm him and he's me. I'm placing myself on the throne of my life and that's called pride and God's, God hates it because pride keeps people from seeing what's plain. Pride keeps you from seeing what's plain. And so let me just tell you, if you're in the middle of that, the rest of us are like going, no, be careful, watch out, don't do that. Warning, warning, Will Robinson. We're all like freaked out and you can't see it because you think that you've got it figured out better than God. And so Pharaoh in his pride increases the workload of the people of, of God. He makes it worse for them. And, and so like, What's happening in the story is that Pharaoh has decided he's more powerful than the Hebrew God, and so he's picking a fight. <laughs> Did you ever see it that way? Like Moses comes and says, look, God, the God of the universe, Yahweh says, let my people go. And he goes, not only am I not going to let your people go, I'm going to make life worse for them. What are you going to do now? Like Pharaoh absolutely throws the first punch and he increases the load as punishment on the people waiting for God then to act and, and so here's the problem with with pride if you think you're always right you can't ever be wrong maybe you know somebody in your life like that that they're always right and they just can't ever be wrong and 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 you're like <laughs> open your eyes if you could only see what I what I see it's it's crazy like and you can't reason with people like that and and so look what happens next time Moses and Aaron go to see uh, Pharaoh this is uh, chapter 7 now they went to the king and his officials they did exactly as the Lord had commanded so Aaron throws his stick down it turned into a snake they have this whole back and forth thing Aaron's snake swallows up all the other snakes and here's what it says the king behaved just as the Lord, as Yahweh had said, and stubbornly refused to listen. Pride makes us think that we're right and we can't ever be wrong. And so this is Pharaoh. Pharaoh refused to see God for who he was and it cost him dearly. In a short span of time, Pharaoh is going to lose his entire multi-million person strong slave force, gone in a day. Can you imagine the economic uh, chaos that would be caused when your multi-million people slave force is just gone? 
And then Pharaoh is going to lose a few more million of his own people because perhaps two or three or four million Egyptians after the plagues go, I don't really know who this God Yahweh is, but he's clearly more powerful than any God of Egypt, including Pharaoh. We're going with them. And the, the Egyptians follow the Israelites out of the, the country. We'll talk about that a lot, but it's a huge, huge thing. And, and then, if that's not enough, Pharaoh is going to lose most of his military at the bottom of the Gulf of Aqaba, all because of his pride. We look at the ten plagues. We go, why is God hurting all of those people? Because Pharaoh is a man of pride, and God is like, look, if if you would, you don't have to approve of this, Pharaoh. You don't have to approve of letting the people go, but you'd better get on board with it and accept it because it's happening whether you want it to or not. And so Pharaoh, in his pride, caused greater destruction on his own nation than would have happened if he simply would have. would have accepted what God wanted to do in the first place. And do you know that the exact same thing happens with us? When we decide we should be on the throne of our own lives and we're in power and we're in control and we in pride say, I'm right and God is wrong, life gets worse instead of better. And maybe you're in a place today where, where you're just frustrated with God. God, why is this going that way? Is this relationship failing? Why is my financial situation in shambles? Why can't I just get things? Why can't I? Like, God, what are you doing? And we, we kind of feel sometimes like God's just being a bully. God, why are you picking on me? Why aren't things just going good? Like, I'm showing up at church. And God's like, look, I'm, here it is. I've laid it out how I want you to live and how I want you to respond to other people. I want you to love me and I want you to love others and I want you to function in that every day. I want you to walk in that every day. I want you to be my disciple and I want you to learn from me and then share that with other people. And, and, and we go, eh, <laughs> nah. Like I'll show up to church and I'll put a few bucks in the offering plate or whatever, but I'm, I'm not going to follow all those rules and commands, God. And so we go, God, I know better about my life and what I should do and how I should do it than you do. And life gets worse for us because we struggle with that pride. So look, God is not um, asking for your approval of his commands or his plans or why he does what he does. He's looking for your acceptance. And, And that acceptance comes in the form of humility. And and I I like this definition of humility. Humility is simply recognizing the truth about who I am and about who God is. When I recognize the truth about who God is, the God of the universe who created everything and so has a right to everything, when I recognize the truth about who he is and I recognize the truth about who I am, I am a slave to the sin of my life. And I am in darkness except for the grace of God. 
When I recognize those truths, I can come to God in humility and I can cry out to him and he hears me and he responds to me in that moment and in that need, he reaches out and and he helps me and he brings me to a place where I can worship and, and serve him the way he deserves and desires. But I have to accept the truth and I have to trust God instead of trusting myself. It's a passage of scripture that says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, the truth of who God is, and then he will direct your paths. And if God's directing your path, that means you're not directing your path. And if you're directing your path, that means God's not directing your path, and you have become Pharaoh in the story. And so pride causes us to doubt God and to trust ourselves. But humility causes us to trust God even when we don't understand what he's doing. And so how do you follow a a God you don't know? How do you get out of that darkness? You trust what God has done even when you don't understand what he's doing. It's a tough call sometimes. But if you want to see God work in your life, you've got to get to that point. You've got to go, God, I don't understand what you're doing. And when it comes to finances and relationships and all this stuff, I think I know better than you, but I'm going to accept what you've said. And I'm going to trust you instead of myself. So that's our goal this week. That's our challenge. What area in my life have I made myself Pharaoh and how can I humble myself before God and follow him instead of trusting just myself? Let's do that. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and thanks for being gracious with us and thanks for being uh, a God of mercy and kindness because the reality is each and every day in probably a hundred little ways, we act just like Pharaoh pretend that we're the God of our own lives, that we're in control, and and even sometimes we pretend like, what are you, God, going to do about it? God, forgive us for that. You're not seeking our approval. Your word tells us how we're to live, what we're to do and say and think. You're looking for us to accept that you're God, and I'm not. Would you help us to do that as difficult as it is this week? To trust you and then to watch you work in incredible ways. To bring us out of the darkness of our sin or shame or just the junk that we get ourselves into. To bring us into the light of your life so that we know what it's like to follow a God that we do know because you've made yourself known. So help us to be open to that God. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, uh, part four in the story, how are we going to follow a God we don't know and get out of the darkness that we're in? I hope you'll join me then.
Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.